You've always had what it takes to make it happen. And we know the right tools can make it easier. At Strayer University, we're always thinking about new ways to set you up for success. That's why we give you a brand new laptop when you enroll in a bachelor's program. So you can start off on the right foot and keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Eligibility rules, restrictions, and exclusions apply. Connect with us for details. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by Chef. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, welcome to the show. Got my good friend Sean Dowdell is on the show. He's known as the Tattooed Millionaire, which was also the title of his book in 2017. That's when he first came on the show. That's when I first met him. Been in touch with him ever since, and I thought it would be great to have him back on the show because his he and his wife Thora uh, released a brand new book called Brand Renegades. It just came out a couple weeks ago. Brand Renegades: Our Fearless Path from Startup to Global Brand. It's a great book, particularly if you're on an entrepreneurial journey, but it touches everything. It's perfect for entrepreneurs, people who are wanting to start their own business or are in their own business. It talks about the power of mentorships, you know, communication. Leadership chapter is really good. And he's just one of the most authentic, genuine souls out there. And I think he's the quintessential entrepreneur. You'll find out why when you listen to this episode and if you read his books, which I highly recommend. Again, he's known as uh, the founder and CEO of Club Tattoo, which are 26 years running a high-end tattoo and piercing business that you can find in Arizona and primarily in Vegas as well. He was also the drummer of Grey Days, a rock band that had Chester Bennington, who was the lead singer of Linkin Park, who eventually committed suicide, unfortunately. But they were in Grey Days together, and Chester was also a partner with him in Club Tattoo. He's a frequent speaker to a variety of audiences and has been featured in Entrepreneur GQ, Billboard, has been on CNBC, A&E, and more. And Thora, his wife, was formerly in marketing and sales before becoming a business partner with Sean, uh, initially in the music recording industry and then later with Club Tattoo. And Thora is just as passionate as Sean about the business, and she's big about empowering women business owners through her story. And together, again, their, their book, Brand Renegades, is really good, and I love how they open up about their relationship uh, with tons of vulnerability and authenticity about what it's like to be not only partners as husband and wife, but business partners as well. And it, I just really love Sean, and I think he's a, a, a great addition to the leadership and entrepreneurship space, and it's a great guest for Dose of Leadership. You're really going to enjoy it. show is brought to you by my friends Hutton. Hutton's been a longtime sponsor here of Dose of Leadership. They design, build, and service commercial construction projects all throughout the Midwest, they're longtime fans of this show, and they're committed to the highest standards in leadership. Hutton's behind so many projects, stunning structures built from the ground up, remodeled hospitals, medical offices, manufacturing, industrial facilities, municipal buildings, financial institutions, churches, schools, on and on and on. And these days, they're both architects and builders because increasingly, that's what a client wants, right? That's what you want if you're going to have somebody build something for you, a single trusted partner to work with from start to finish. And that's what they do there at Hutton. It's their vision delivered from paper to structure, and it's more than a construction project to them. It's a creative endeavor, and they put people over projects. That's what I love about them always. It goes how they treat their clients, their employees, their community. Character counts for them. That's how they select their staff, their subcontractors, how they serve their community. 
It's not lip service. I know them personally. They're the real deal. They're professional, hardworking, charitable, Midwestern in all the best ways. That's their culture, which really isn't any culture at all. It's just who they are. That's Hutton. Go learn more. Go to HuttonBuilds.com slash TogetherWeBuild. That's HuttonBuilds.com slash TogetherWeBuild. Thanks so much for being a supporter of the show. If you haven't done so, subscribe, rate, review. Leaving that review is huge, particularly in Apple Podcasts. It keeps us front and center in the top uh, business podcast, top 0.5% of all podcasts and I see a two and a half million. It's because of you and your support and you telling somebody about this show and subscribing, rating, and reviewing. And I really do appreciate it. Go to doseofleadership.com to learn more about me and my services. And again, thanks for your support. Let's get on with this great conversation with my friend Sean Dowdell from Club Tattoo here on Dose of Leadership. Well, Sean, it's so great to have you back on Dose of Leadership. Welcome, my friend. Thanks for having me back on, Richard. Appreciate it. And it's been a fat minute since you've been on. It's been fun watching you grow. I think it was 20. I'm trying to remember the date. Was it 20? I should have looked at this before I started. 20, 2017. 20 what? 2017. 2017. Yeah, I thought it was 2016 or 17. Yeah, it's crazy, man. You got a brand new book out there. Brand Renegade. What you wrote with your, your wife and your business partner, Thora. It's really good, man. I really, I just finished it about 10 minutes ago before we started here. You know, it's really good, man. I'm, I really like Thank it. Thank you. And I think it's because, you know, we're, you know, me sitting here as a fledgling entrepreneur working at, a, at an airline, doing this for the last eight years, there's a lot of stuff that resonates with me, particularly with, you know, kind of hitting those. I think over the last eight years of it, I've done this show and I've gotten used to them. These, these kind of up and downs, right? And I'm in this down part right now. I've been there for about a month. I'm not shocked by it. I'm not fearful of it. I know it's, I've been here before and your book kind of came to me at the right time because it kind of helped me say, okay, yeah, focus on this, focus on that. So I wanted to just tell you that, that it's personally helping me just in the last 24 hours, kind of recognizing that I'm kind of in this one of these lulls or these valleys and man, you've had your share of them, right? I mean, that's normal, right? As we go through this business cycle, I mean, that's just the part of the game, right? Yeah. Well, first, thank you for the, for the kind words. And secondly, yeah, ebb and flow ups and downs are completely normal. You have to uh, recognize when they're going to happen as they're happening and how to pull through the next stage. You can't always be on a hundred percent growth. trajectory. This doesn't work like that. It's not reality. Yeah. And uh, small business owner, I think the more honest you are with yourself and the business cycles of where you are in your growth trajectory or even, even, even reduction or, or shrinkage, you need to recognize that as well. Those are important steps because you can't grow if you're not understanding where your business is in the first place. You don't know where you're going to go if you don't know where you are. Right. Well, let's talk a little bit for the sake of people who hadn't met you before, been on the show before. Just give a brief um, synopsis of, of Club Tattoo, how long you guys have been in business, 22 years plus, right? If, if we're coming on now, but just give it, give us 26 years. 26. Opened in 90, oh 1995. Started off as just, a, you know, three or four people working uh, in a little little store in Tempe, Arizona. And initially I was in the music industry and decided to open up the tattoo studio uh, as a way to supplement my income while I was on the road with the band. I never thought I would be a, a, a full on entrepreneur um, that, you know, kind of dabbled in the music industry. And, and, you know, I always thought I was going to be this huge rock star that had this right. little business that was kind of cool and fun. And then when I left music industry in, in 1990, or I guess I, I guess I technically left in like 2000, um, I refocused all my energy and drive into club tattoo. 
and created a luxury brand of tattoo and piercing studios with my partner and wife, Thora Dowdell. And we grew from that point exponentially uh, when I brought her into the business and she just brought a different perspective. And we've grown the brand into six different studios and, and constantly growing. We have stores in Las Vegas, stores in Arizona, stores on the Las Vegas trip inside um, big global brands such as the Venetian Grand Canal Shops, Planet Hollywood Miracle Mile Shops, the Link Hotel and Casino. Uh, and then we're in Scottsdale Fifth Avenue. We've got some really prime locations. And it's a very upscale, unique experience that I think is kind of at the top of the tattoo and piercing industry. Uh, and we've really developed a global brand that, that reflects that. Yeah. You know, I remember when we talked about this in 2017, you know, the, it seems it's kind of like, and I think some of the great iconic brands are the, are this, like if you look at, at McDonald's, I mean, we take it for granted. It's almost like when I, I hear about a luxury brand tattoo business like yours, it's kind of like, well, yeah, duh. Why wouldn't we have one? Right. I mean, to me, that's how, as, as a, someone on the outside and I don't have tattoos, but I'm like, yeah, it makes perfect sense. We take that for granted now, but 26 years ago, people were like, what are you talking about? You know, that would be, it, that's like an impossible idea, right? People didn't get it right away, but I'll tell you who it spoke to immediately was, it didn't, and we didn't have this grand concept when we first started. Sure. We were a young kid, mm-hmm. you know, it, just, it, it kind of um, developed and grew into what it has become now. But early on, I think the key ingredient was that we wanted to differentiate our, ourselves from other competitors. When I opened in 1995, I believe it was in the entire state of Arizona. So we were, you know, it wasn't hard to stand out if you did anything different than, than what was there. And the way we did that was we created a really brightly lit, um, very unique aesthetic, very clean and very female friendly. That was the key ingredient Mm -hmm. early on was to make our company very female friendly, where women would come in and feel safe to get tattooed or pierced and not feel like they had this hulking biker that was, you know, being inappropriate or, or just made them feel uncomfortable or intimidated. It wasn't, it wasn't that vibe. And and back in the nineties, that's, that really was the business model that was pretty standard or traditional in the tattoo world. You had this kind of biker-esque mentality that was feeding that industry pretty specifically um, that direction. And once we took the left turn from that, we really carved out a niche for ourselves and and differentiated our our company in a way that hadn't really been done before. And then it grew from that point. Sure. I love too how when you did that, you focused on the the marketing research, you know, you kind of went into it assuming this was a 50-50 mix. You know, you had 50% women, 50% men. And what you found out that there was actually more women than men that were coming to your shop. And once you had that kind of clarity, now you started to line products around, you know, nose piercings and things like that that attracted more of a female clientele, right? I think it's easy to believe your own hype if you don't actually dig into the data, right? Mm-hmm. And and I've, and I've certainly been... Um, a victim of my own thought processes of just assuming things. And so we've done these exercises and we really tried to uh, narrow down the, the key factors who our demographics are, who is it that's coming in here? It's easy to, to take a, a snapshot of a couple of days and say, Oh, we have, you know, mostly college kids and I'm mostly, you know, 50, 50 men or women. But when you really dig down and, and you do a little bit broader um, snapshot of who your client is, and you dig into the details of who they are and why they're coming to you, you can find out a lot, not only about who your clients are, but about who you are, you are as a brand. And then you can actually 
switch your business model into feeding and focusing on who it is that your customers think you are and who they want you to be. If you try to dictate 100% of, of what it is you do to a client, you might be missing out on what the market demand is. Mm-hmm. And for us, we found, you know, just as, just as an example, there was a certain type of jewelry that we were filling our cases with years ago, right? And we assumed, because we were selling some of them, uh, we assumed that um, because we were selling some of this stuff, that that was our key target audience. And then once we dug into the data, we, we found out that a large part of our clientele were females that wanted more options in higher end price points for jewelry. So such as uh, diamond nostril mm-hmm. jewelry and diamond navel jewelry. So we literally overnight, we switched our business model. We got rid of some of this lower end jewelry that was feeding some of our customers. We invested heavily into this higher price point. And literally within six months, we noticed about a 40% trajectory upwards in our bottom line on the body jewelry sales. So if you dig in, if you're willing to take the time and energy, and by the way, it's, it's a lot of effort to do this, you're going to find a lot of, out about yourself. And then it, you're able to shift which direction your focus is in, and you're going to see a, a major difference in how your company operates, how your customers are interacting with your, with your business, and your bottom line, of course. What was the catalyst for you to do the deep dive on that marketing side? I mean, I when I was reading about that, that of course it made sense. But what, as I'm sitting there thinking about what was the event that made you go, hey, I need to start digging into this. Was it a lack of sales? Was it a mentor pushing you? What started it? Don't laugh, but honestly, I think it was to- all the Tony Robbins books that I was reading at the time. This really? probably started about 15 years ago. And I think I've read four or five of his books at this point. I've attended a lot of his conferences. We went to his island in Fiji. Uh, I'm a big believer in what Tony preaches and he hit some really key points and he made it abundantly clear to me that I can't rely on all these outside factors to kind of, um, I can't rely on luck. Like you make your own Mm -hmm. luck, go out there, be prepared when, when things are presenting themselves to you to be able to take massive action in a forward direction. That's really what I get out of Tony. And, um, I had to just do some self digging once I started listening to his books and, and, and implementing the strategies and at least the self reflection that he preaches, I, I came across, well, why, why am I doing it this way? And then Thor and I would, we would talk about it. And, and, and if the answer was, well, we've always done it this way, that was the worst possible answer <laughs> we could come up with. So it was like, right. well, is it the best way? So let's dig down and figure that out. And that's, that's really how we ended up, um, you know, where we're at. Well, I love that, you know, and I, and it kind of speaks to the kind of a, a broader sense of when I, I look at your journey. I mean, you are the quintessential entrepreneur. And I love the fact that you went into this business, you go into this in the book that you didn't go into this business with, hey, we're looking for time and economic freedom. Um, you know, I want I want boats. I want this. That's what I love about your honesty in this book is that you, you, particularly you, when I look at you in your childhood and you grow up, you know, I mean, you didn't starve. You always had food on the table, but but you, it was tough, right? I mean, and, I mean, you watched your 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 dad put himself through college and struggle and try to put, but you didn't have a lot, and you didn't come from a lot, and but you learned a lot from work ethic to grind to hustle to all that stuff that that is that made you the quintessential entrepreneur. But I love that you didn't go into this business because you wanted to be this multimillionaire with a yacht. 
And and you talk about that at length in the book, right? That it, it wasn't until like 15 years later that you started really thinking about the financial aspect of it in a sense, right? So I think you, you, you pretty much summed it up really well. But the way I look at it now is when it's young, it's really popular in our country to want to be a victim right now. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to really separate myself from that mentality. So when I tell my story, while I did grow up, I guess, on the lower half of of what would be considered, you know, middle class. My parents worked their butts off yeah. and I got that work ethic from them for sure. I never starved. I always had clothes on my back. So if I, if I'm honest with myself growing up, yeah, I may not have been growing up rich or well off, but I think 95% of the rest of the world would kill to have what I had growing right. up. And that's just, that's just honesty. If I, if I really look at that and I say, and, and, and I say to myself, how, where were you in the big picture? Well, maybe I was on the lower end of, you know, of America, but at the same time, I was on the upper end of the world and had a lot of opportunities. And that's one of the things I think is important as an entrepreneur to pass along is don't, don't look at the things that make you a victim. Look at the opportunities that, that you have in front of you in this country. I don't care if you're black, Hispanic, Asian, white, whatever it is. Your economic class might be for them. We might be in, you know, gang ridden, um, you know, section of the city or whatever, but we still live in America and there still are opportunities to go out and take advantage of. And I know that's easy to say, and I don't mean to make light of it and make it sound like it's so simple because it's not. It takes a lot of hard work. It takes a special person to get up out of bed every morning and, and, and charge past those hurdles that are put in their direct communities. But I think if you have hope, and you understand that we do live in an amazing country and that there are opportunities, you can work past it. You can get yourself past it. And I think it, it's it's important to know that there there are opportunities for every person in this country. So uh, just to that, just to your point. Yeah, I, I, I guess I grew up. Um, I don't want to say disadvantaged because I, no. I just we didn't have a lot. But I learned that work ethic from my parents and they, they instilled it in me as a child. You're going to get out of the world what you put into it. So get your butt out of bed and go make something happen for yourself. I love that message. And I agree with you hundred percent. I mean, I think you're right. I think it's something that gets missed a lot. And particularly when we talk about entrepreneurship and even when we're flooded, you know, you, we see it, I can go turn on Facebook or LinkedIn right now and I can just get, you know, a thousand ads from, you know, young entrepreneurs promising me, you know, financial freedom and economic wealth and passive income and, and everything else. And, and, you still got to put in the work. You got to do the grind, right? It's like, how did you phrase it in your book? Is like, why? It, what's the logic behind giving up a forty-hour work week to 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 work seventy, eighty hours a week for personal freedom, right? It's kind of a weird logic, but that's what you that's what you've done, and it, and it's a lot of you've got to live, breathe, and eat it, right? Well, because it's not the financial payoff that you're looking for; it's the exactly. creative payoff, exactly. And that that be is the is the differentiator of a true entrepreneur. Uh, versus just an investor or something like that. And, and not to discount what investors do this, you know, like a hundred thousand dollars into something and watch it grow and then turn it and flip. I, I don't do that. I'm more of a creative mm-hmm. entrepreneur where, I, you know, I, I like to create things and then figure out what the need is and whatever um, community that I'm working in and then figure out how to monetize it. And I think I kind of think differently than a lot of the investor models where they're thinking of how to monetize things first and then, um, you know, work on the economics of, of it backwards. And I, I, I don't think like when I watch Shark Tank, um, it's interesting to see their perspectives as investors 
because some of them really built their their business models off their creative, their intellectual creativity. You look at a guy like Mark Cuban or or um, Robert uh, on that show, and, and their that. creative juices really got them where they are. And then sometimes I, I watch them take this hardline, disciplined financial approach, and it, it kind of lost. They lost that passion for me. Not all the time, but every once in a while, I'll just see them take this weird. Like this is a hardline numbers conversation, and I've never gone into a business like that, and can't can't argue with their success because they're super successful at what they do, and, and they're looking at it from different different perspectives. But I guess I'm not there yet, and uh, I, I choose to to look at the creative path first um, in my business ventures at this point. And no, but that's, I, that's what I love about it. Yeah, and I mean, I'm I'm being presumptuous here, but I think that that you seem like a guy that strikes me. Or something that really makes you tick is like you, it feels like you think the real obligation that we have on this planet is to make the campsite better than you found it. That's like a phrase that you know, make it better than 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 I found it. And it seems like everything you go into, it's about improving something or making it better, leaving it better than when you initially found it. I don't. Is that a fair statement? So actually, Thora uses that a lot. She'll say, "Leave it better than you found it." Um, and that, that's just one of her mottos. She teaches that to our staff. It's inherent in our company culture. I'm always trying to add value. So yeah. I guess, I guess we're getting, we're getting the same, we're getting there the same way. We're getting to the same destination a different way. <laughs> I always find out how I can like, so when somebody calls me and says, Hey, we want to work with your brand, your company, Etnies is a good example. So when uh, soul technologies, they have a brand called Etnies, one of the largest shoe manufacturers in, uh, in the world. They came to us and said, you know, hey, we want to buy some of your tattoo designs for our shoes. And I said, that's a cool idea. But how about we do a collaboration and it becomes a club tattoo etnies partnership where we can market this thing in a different realm than just slapping tattoo art on something. We're, we're able to add value to that. And it became one of their most successful partnerships and collaborations. And, and that's really the way I like to approach it as opposed to just do the traditional, um, you know, um, transactional exchange between um companies so I, I like to add value and see how i can make something better you did the same thing with bicycle with their cards you know they were coming they wanted just just to simply buy artwork from you and you're like yeah, hang on we, a second let's let's collaborate here and let's create this kind of club tattoo and it became one of their top selling bicycle playing yeah, card brands right it did really well they ended up getting it picked up through walmart target walgreens uh they we sold a quarter million uh, of those card decks and and still selling them today and those things were really unique, you know, it really hadn't been done in that, in that way before. And bicycle loved it. It ended up branching out. Once we did the bicycle deal, we ended up doing a collaboration with a company called Allstare, which is the, one of the largest hair clipper companies in the world. Mm -hmm. We did some artwork for their hair clippers. So there's all kinds of doors that open. If you're adding value in one area, usually if you over deliver other things will, will show up after the fact. And, and it's almost always the case for us when we really, um, over deliver on what we step into the room with. I love in the beginning of the book, how you, you put a huge emphasis on talking about the importance of mentorship. I've talked about this a lot on the show. When did that, how did that come about for you? How did that, that, that come forth? Like, yeah, I need to find a mentor. And, and who was it? Who did you reach out to at first? I didn't reach out to anybody. Um, I had my grandfather who was an incredible mentor for me. My parents were always good. They helped me with work, but sometimes you need something outside of your, your, your nuclear family. And my grandfather was that for me at a young age. 
he really helped me understand that you can do anything you set your mind to do and let me understand that your dreams don't have to be dreams. They can be destinations if, if you really want them to be. He's the one that helped me early on. And then as I got into my late teens, we had a, a manager of our, our band, Gray Days. Mm-hmm. His name was Kerry Rose, and he really kind of took me under his wing. He was an entrepreneur. He owned some restaurants, and he managed the band. And he really helped me um, when I decided to open up the tattoo shop with Mason in 1995. Uh, he really stepped in and helped me understand that it wasn't just about your concept. You really had to understand accounting. You had to understand marketing. You had to understand the community. You had to understand hiring and firing. And he gave me these little nuggets of information along the way, not too much to where I couldn't digest. And it was just over my Mm -hmm. head and, and people just shut off when you give them too much. Like he understood where I was at in the entrepreneurial journey and gave me what he thought were uh, enough pieces that I could use critical thinking skills to take that and apply it into my uh, direct business. And so he was probably the first big outside my family mentor. And I think as I started reading and listening to books along the journey, I realized how important those mentors really were. It's interesting that did he, when, when you were in gray days and, and this manager, so did he just, so he just saw something in you and just started kind of like, Hey, just through con- organically through conversations just started giving you advice or did, or did you kind of say, Hey, I need help here? No, I, I think I was just talking to him about, Hey, I'm going to open up this tattoo shop with Mace. And Mm -hmm. you know, what did he think? And he just started asking the right questions. He understood which questions. I mean, I was 20 years old, so I didn't have a huge understanding of business. I did Mm -hmm. go to college and my, my, uh, my initial major was marketing, uh, business marketing. And then I switched to philosophy after that. So I did have a very, very, very basic understanding of how businesses worked and he just knew the right questions to ask. And then the more, I realized he was asking these questions for my benefit, not his. I would go back and we'd have further conversation. And then we just developed a really solid friendship beyond that. And he became a long-term mentor. Even after he stopped managing the band, uh, we became friends. And we're still friends to this very day. And he's also a fellow, fellow author. And um, he's just a great guy. He, he really, uh, he had, a lar- I think, a larger impact on my, my business outlook than he realizes. That's cool. I, I love that. I love those kind of where they just happen, where people kind of come along in your path and you kind of develop. I mean, again, organically. But you do talk about in the book. I mean, there we should be intentional about kind of seeking it, right? I mean, and it doesn't have to be. I mean, we can do it privately through books, and you know, I could almost say probably Tony Robbins was a mentor to you too, right? Obviously, you're reading his books and you're digesting his material, so he's become a mentor too, and and we can certainly do that, but. I've learned from doing this show and this asking people like, and I've done that. I've take I've gone on a leap and I've asked people that I never thought I would ask, not not explicitly maybe to be a mentor, but just kind of hey, what do you, what have you thought? And I, I need some help with this. Can I get your thoughts on this? Your opinion on this? And those have developed into friendships, right? And continue mentors. What do you think about when yeah, you hear me? Based on trust, exactly. You trust opinions. Mm-hmm. There, you trust whoever it is you're speaking to to give you an honest, unbiased opinion. And if they and if they have no skin in the game, if if there's no leverage or no angle, you know that they're going to give you an honest answer and and hopefully for the right reason try to help you. Yeah, and that's what they're based on. Yeah. Do you actively seek mentors as you pushing yourself? I mean, obviously you're constantly learning. You seem like a guy who's always kind of pushing himself 
you're comfortable being in the growth zone always. Like, the, like you wouldn't be comfortable just sitting in a comfort. You always like to grow and, and push yourself. Are you? Yeah, at- I, I mean, I think I think the word mentor might be a little a little the wrong term for what I'm doing now. So I seek. Um, first of all, I seek friendships. For I don't have a ton of friends. I have a thousands of acquaintances. You know, I, people, mm-hmm. anybody could pick up the phone and call a thousand people and talk to people, but true hardcore people that I would call at two in the morning if I was in trouble. Right. I only have a handful of those friends. And so when I come across somebody that I really gel with, that I really connect with, I try to maintain and nurture those friendships because I know how important it is to have um, those friendships. So that's first and foremost. Secondly, I have business relationships that you could, I guess, technically call mentorships, but I, I think it's more reciprocal at this point. I, I think I end up giving a lot of advice to the same people that are giving me advice at this point. So it would be more of a business relationship or, you know, strategic partnership, that type of thing, if they're not close friends uh, in that in that context. So, I, of course, I'm always information seeking. I always want to get mm-hmm. better. I always want to learn. But at the same time, back to that adding value thing, right? always want to see what I can give back in, in, in terms of information, knowledge, power, energy, all those types of sure that I can hold up my end of the bargain. I love, yeah, I love what you said there. It's true. And it's it, thinking about that, like the true friends that you really do have. I mean, I, I, it's on one hand for me, right? The, the two o'clock in the mornings. I wish it was more sometimes. Sometimes I wonder if, if that's abnormal or not, right? If, if Should I have I mean, more? I- how can you really have that many with, with as fast know. as life is, is moving along, right? How can you mm-hmm. really have that many close friends? At least in my schedule, my life, I mean, it would, I think it's always going to be relegated to less than 10, always just yeah, for me. I, think you're just, right. I just don't have time to nurture that many relationships and friendships take time, energy, and effort. Yeah. And it has to happen organically, right? It's almost like you have to, it's almost like you have to be aware of it when it happens. You can't, it's like, if you're seeking it, it doesn't happen. Right. It's yeah, just like, you're you know, absolutely right. Right. Yeah. But to put to that point, that's why I was saying when I come across somebody that I really connect with, mm-hmm. you know it. Yeah. Like, you know it. Right. Okay. I really want to try to develop a, a further friendship with this person because right. I really like this human being. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I love in the book how you, you, I was pleasantly surprised about the depth you went into, particularly with Thora, about how you've, you've um, migrated or evolved in this partnership. Obviously, she's your spouse, a partner there, but as a business partner, and you talked about how in the beginning, you almost looked at her as like an employee and like we've kind of involved and like as you've, as you've kind of matured both as a relationship. I'm trying to think, I was, I was reading, I was thinking, my God, I could see the exact thing. If I was in business with my wife right now, I would be having these same conversations, but it's evolved, right? Talk to me a little bit about that, that evolution of, as your wife becoming your business partner. So this is this is a humbling conversation for me to have because I have to hold myself accountable to the way I, I would behave back then. I certainly looked at it as I was the one that started the business, and when I brought her in, it was like you're gonna you're gonna do what I say because this is my business. And at the time, I felt like it was justified because look, I had put all the hard you know sweat and tears mm-hmm. and, and this, but that's not really the nature of a true partnership at all. It's it's, it's I, I was a little bit um, out of line and. It took many years. I wish I could say that we solved it in a year or two, but it didn't. It took many years and many arguments and and, and many seriously uncomfortable moments. But at the you know, me and, and quite honestly, mostly me being um, 
too guarded, too protective and not trusting her enough as my partner. Mm -hmm. You know, early on, of course, she had a learning curve and I should have recognized that there would be a learning curve. And once she had that learning curve down, we were equals. And uh, but it just took a lot longer than that. And I would say really our, our the greatness of our business partnership has really developed over the last 10 or 11 years. We I've really started to understand that she brings a completely unique and different perspective than I do to our company. And therefore we're going to get two different paths um, to move forward from. And sometimes I feel like I have a very set vision on what it is I want and I'll share it with her and she'll buy into the vision. She'll say, that's a great idea. However, what about, what about this? And then she'll throw a curveball. And now what I thought was this grandiose vision is now something completely (laughs) different, but, and, and by the way, much cooler. Uh, because of what she brings to to the outlook, and to me, that's really special. And we've we've been able to nurture that now for the last several years, and really become strong partners. And now we're not stepping on each other's toes, and I'm not, uh, you know, breathing down her neck. Oh, to you know, why isn't this done? Why isn't that? And of course, we, you know, we're human, so of course we have disagreements. And but it's not; they're not so uncomfortable or. Or, or destructive to our, our marriage or, or personal relationship as they were in the past. And, you know, she's thank God for her because she's, you know, she withstood the storm, so to speak, from, from the way my earlier behaviors as a business partner. And I have to give all the credit to her because she was really more the mature one that saw the, the broader vision in our long-term partnership uh, than me. I, I really commend you for being so open and authentic in the book about it. I, it truly was one of my favorite parts of the book as you guys explored that or detailed that out in the book. I, th- I thought it was a great value-added piece to to, to your Thanks. work. Yeah, it's really good. I love the chapter. Obviously, this is a leadership podcast, but I love, you know, took great exception to your um, chapter 10, Be Powerful Leaders, Not Bosses. A lot of great nuggets in there, Sean, about leadership that I just totally in Simpacago with you about. I loved how you open up in the very beginning about where you says, and I'm, I'm quoting here, we realized over time that becoming a good leader had more to do with proving how hard we are willing to work than it did with trying to, air quotes, motivate others. Powerful words can get lost or forgotten over time, but our staff was more inclined to learn and respond to our leadership from watching how hard we're willing to work ourselves. It was far more internal and external for us. I love that. I say that all the time on the show. Obviously, you, you see the value of setting the example. I think a lot of people get into leadership thinking their job is to motivate others. And, and the best you can do sometimes, or you get more bang for the buck by just showing how, lead how you actually want things to be done. That's what I get from that paragraph right there. Thank you. Um, you know, it just it just comes from experience. I think you realize that your employees will buy into the company culture of what it is you're putting out there if they're watching you do it rather than just reading a manual or, or getting an email that says, Hey, we want you to do it this way. And I, I, in my experience, our, our company culture is much more responsive when they understand the why behind mm-hmm. the what. Um, so a lot of times earlier on in my, in my life, when I had a job, you know, they would train us on what to do more like soldiers mm-hmm. rather than why we're doing this. And I feel if we start with a why, and this is the goal, then here's how we're going to do that. Maybe your employees will actually have some added value feedback to improve the procedures or whatever you're trying to do or, or make the processes easier, simpler, better, stronger, faster, whatever it is. Your employees will actually, if you 
if your message is clear and you can help your employees understand why they're doing something, a lot of times your employees will give you really solid feedback and make your company better and stronger. Hey, we're about halfway through the conversation and I wanted to take the time to introduce you to Ben Hutton, the sponsor of today's episode. Ben, tell our listeners what Hutton is all about. Hey, thanks, Richard. You know, we're a huge dose of leadership fans here at Hutton, so I appreciate the opportunity to sponsor your, your program and be with you here today. You know, Hutton is a commercial architecture and construction firm headquartered in Kansas, but we do work really throughout the Midwest, designing and building things like hospitals, office buildings, schools, industrial and manufacturing facilities. But really, uh, more than that, we see ourselves as leaders in the communities that we serve. Yeah, that's one thing I've always appreciated about you, knowing you all these years. I love your intention around leadership and your vision as a company. So what do you think makes Hutton different? Sure. You know, Richard, our purpose is to build life into our employees' dreams, clients' visions, and communities' future. We really start with putting our people first, and then we keep people at the center of everything that we do, which really means we walk alongside of our clients from the very first thoughts they have about a building all the way through completion and then maintenance into the future. I love it. I'm, that's why I'm glad that you're a sponsor of this show, Ben. So great. How can people learn more about your company? Yeah, so to learn just a little bit more about us, you could go to huttonbuilds.com slash togetherwebuild. Great, Ben. Thanks for being a sponsor. Yeah, I've certainly learned that the hard way too. And I love it. You're absolutely right. I mean, that speaks volumes to me. You're absolutely right. Of of taking the time to kind of communicate what this is why the ship is going this way. This is where we're going and this is why we're going this way is so there's so much value added into that because now you now you've enlisted all these people to go, oh, this is why we're going that way. And then now they're gonna add input to your point, right? As opposed to just being mind numb robots, you know, doing what the boss told them to do. I love that. And you, in that vein, you talk about there's a chapter or a paragraph or a section about maniacally communicating. I'm, I'm throwing my word maniacal in there, but you've got to communicate early and often as it, as you put it in your book, but you've, it's consistent, right? Because we go into assuming that they, they kind of get where we're coming from. Right. And you, you talk yeah. about that in the book that, that I, you made the mistake of like, well, I just assumed they knew what I, why I was doing this. And you've got to consistently drive the message home, right? Yeah, your employees, I mean, it, ask some, I guess some people's spouses can read their minds, but even your spouse can't read your mind most <laughs> right. of the time. So why would you expect your employee? And we have over a hundred employees. So, you know, some of them I don't see for three, four weeks at a time. How could I ever expect them to know what I'm thinking or how I want something done? So, um, to try to have an open line of communication if there's issues or, or you know, if they have questions, don't make them feel stupid. Embrace those questions. And uh, and first and foremost, as a boss, as a leader, as, as a business owner, you need to understand why they're asking these questions. Because if they're asking those questions, it's because they weren't taught or taught well the answer to that question. Or you haven't made it abundantly clear what it is they're supposed to be doing. And I, I think you need to reflect inwardly and, and ask yourselves, well, how can I do a better job so that that question may not be a recurring question from future staff members? Yeah. We're always going back to our training. We're always going back to implementing different ways of communicating how we want people to learn in our training um, messages. And that, that's been a difficult thing. For the past three years, we've really honed in on this specific aspect of our business on how we train new employees. It's really 
it, it, it's tough to do as, as a business to go back and continually revisit how you're training new staff. At least it was for us. Well, well it, I think it is for everybody. And I think it speaks to two, like in, in bringing the right people in. I, I would imagine there has to be some intentionality about the type of person that you're, you're hiring when you bring in. Right. I mean, if, if you bring in the wrong person, all these things that we're talking about here, if they're not receptive to, cause I found that out too, that I, I just assumed everybody wanted to be delegated to. I assumed everybody wanted to be given the ball and run with it. And that's not necessarily the case. So do you intentionally try to hire people that are receptive to delegation, are receptive to kind of asking for forgiveness instead of permission and doing things in line with your intent as opposed to being told what to do? Is that is that something you do intentionally? Just to that, a couple of questions there that I'll answer. So the way we hire, it really depends on the need of the store. I can't always hire a, a Tom Brady person. <laughs> right, right. I can't always hire a quarterback. If you have a, a team of 11 quarterbacks, then you're not going to be a very good team. Mm, right. So you have to understand what it is the need of the business is first. Like, do I need somebody who's super hyper assertive, somebody that doesn't need a lot of, uh, you know, handholding, or do I need someone that's just going to be extremely efficient? They're not as assertive, but they dig deep into whatever tasks are at hand. So there's different not only personality traits, but skill sets that I'm looking for, even in the same position. I may have two or three of the same sales sales positions available, but I'm looking for different personalities and different skill sets within those uh, job titles, and I'll hire differently for each one, and Thora as well. We, we, we talk about what is it specifically we want out of this position. We, do we want a, a super-focused salesperson? Do we want somebody who's really a little bit better on the administrative side, a little bit more experience on the administrative side of the sales. Do we want someone that's a little bit more hyper-focused in the uh, computer aspect and computer uh, understanding with programming? What is it we need? And that's really what we'll go after and see if the personality and their skill sets match up with the company's um, need. I was thinking about too, there's, and my daughter works, her um, fiance and her boyfriend, she, her, his dad owns a bunch of liquor stores here in town and they're always struggling trying to hire the right people. Right. And, they, and one of the, the comments I've heard is like, well, in this industry, you, you're never going to hire somebody that's going to be that sharp or that bright. It is what it is, the pool. And I just don't, I don't buy that. I hate that kind of mentality. And I could almost argue the same thing when you're starting out in this tattoo industry, there would probably be people saying the same thing. Like, well, the type of, person you're going to get to work in a tattoo shop isn't going to be, you know, your type A, you're obviously proving that wrong. Right. And so that's, that's what I love about your kind of intentionality behind what, what we're going to hire here. I think you have to be realistic in your expectations. One of the things as a business owner, it's, it's a tough lesson to learn is that your employees are not going to stay with you forever. Right. They're just not. And it sucks. It sucks as a business owner because you put so much time and energy mm-hmm. into these people. But you, the sooner you realize that and accept it, the better off you are. So try to make sure that you're utilizing their strengths while they're with you, knowing that they're going to be leaving you. And if you can help them be better as a human being, as a better as an employee, better as an entrepreneur, maybe as they leave, then you're doing yourself and them a service, by the way. You're, you were mentoring them indirectly or directly in some cases um, to, to go off into the sunset and, and do their own thing and become better 
business owners, operators, employees, mentors, all those things. If you're, if you're helping them do that, just understand as a business owner, it's going to be temporary. They're not going to stay with you forever. In rare cases, does it happen? We have employees been with us 20 years, 15 years, 13 years. Okay, but that's not the that's not generally the rule. Generally, you're going to get mm-hmm. a year, two years, maybe three years out of people before they want to go do something else. So if you understand that, you may get a type A personality. You may get a young Sean who eventually is going to go on to, and open these you know businesses that I hope so. I hope I get the opportunity to mentor that guy or that girl. And they come into our company and utilize their strengths to make my company better. And at the same time, give them something back as a mentor, as a strong leader, help them become and blossom into whoever it is they're going to become long-term. And I've done that. I've watched some of my young type A personalities or, 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 or future entrepreneurs come into our company and work with us for two or three, four or five years and go on and open up and become millionaires. I love that. Mm-hmm. The fact that I had a helping hand in, in, in pushing them into becoming who they were meant to be. They're not always going to be, I'm not the same guy that was working at Little Caesars when I was 17 years old. <laughs> right. I hope I add value to the Little Caesars pizza company I worked for at 17. I know I did. I was a good employee, but I grew and I went on to other things. So I think as a business owner, you have to be realistic in what it is you're going to be getting out of your employees. And also, I think that you have to think as a leader, what, what can I give back to these future leaders? You know, that's important. I think that that's a... I love what you said there. And I think that's the first time on the show I've heard somebody kind of explain it that way. And I thought it's, I think it's great. And just, I think sometimes we look at hiring people, like getting that retention rate, you know, down to almost, you know, make that revolving door not be so revolving. But to your point, it's like, look, they're not going to be here forever. But by the time that I do have you, I'm going to invest my life into you and make you a better person. I think that's a great way to look at it because that investment will pay off in the long run. Because what's that person going to do when they do go out that door and they leave with a positive feeling and, and, and a positive experience? That That's going to spread, right? And they're going to tell, man, you need to work with Sean. That guy's that guy's good to go, right? Well, and the other thing is, is some of these people have gone off and opened their own businesses and eventually said, you know what? I want to come back and work for you. Mm-hmm. Because I like being an entrepreneur. It's fun, but it's also a lot of work. And I think I want to roll my life back a little bit. And it happens all the time to us because of who we were as bosses when they were in our company working with us. So that's important too. I I just think it's important to make sure that we're giving back to our employees as they're giving to us. And I don't mean monetarily. I I think it's unrealistic to think that your employees are going to be there forever. We have a revolving door too. It's just the way it is. But I kept asking myself for years, what are we doing wrong? Why can't we keep these people? (laughs) And the answer is you're not doing anything wrong necessarily. People grow. Humans, especially in the United States, they have options and they see these options as other growth opportunities internally. So they want to take those and grow. And it doesn't mean necessarily that you're doing anything wrong. So I think if you take it less personally and you understand that it's part of their human experience for them to grow in different directions, and as long as you're one of the people help watering that flower to grow, then you've done something good and be content with that. That's a tough that. thing to learn. No, I love that. I think you're absolutely right. And I think that's great advice for any business owner out there to, to stop looking at that revolving door as necessarily a failure. It can be if you if you're if it's a, a horrible place to work, but just because it's revolving doesn't assuage you from the responsibility, as as you put it, of 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 watering that flower while it's there. You know, water it while while you have it, and it'll pay dividends. And it, yeah, it does suck yeah. if they leave, but. 
as long as the employee wants to be watered. I mean, you don't want to be throwing advice or mentorship sure. over people. That, and, and the other tough thing is, especially in this hiring environment, I've never seen a tougher hiring environment yeah. in my business experience as we're in right now, which is really weird because you have this massive layoff that happened during COVID. You have this massive unemployment. And then now that things are open, trying to get people to come back to work is a nightmare. It's, I know it's weird. It's, isn't it? it's so hard. But at the same time, it's a new challenge. We're trying to, you know, meet it head on and see what we can do to overcome the hurdle. But um, I, I think it's important to make sure as a as a leader, as much as you need to mentor the people that are in your company and, and help them uh, become future better leaders, better better people, better employees, you also have to be not afraid to let people go that don't fit what your company's doing. And that is a very uncomfortable topic is firing and letting people go. And for us, we, we just, we don't let cancer grow. And if somebody is not a good fit, we, we shake their hand. We don't, we're not mean to them. Hey, this is not a good fit. Maybe you'd be better off somewhere else. If we shake their hand and we leave on a good terms, hopefully. And that's that, but we're not afraid to let people go that aren't good for the organization. And if they're a detriment or as we call it a cancer to the company culture, you have to get rid of it or it spreads. Yeah, for sure. I love to, speaking of culture, I love how you mentioned there when you're doing your meetings and how you, you celebrate the high performers. If somebody's doing something or they've done something that kind of supports the brand, um, you call them out on it in front of everybody, which is such a simple thing. It always surprises me how little people do that. It, to me, I think that's one of the, the easiest things that you can do is recognize high performers, particularly when they're supporting the brand that you want. And, and you explicitly talk about that in your book. So I commend you for calling that out too. I, I don't know why companies don't do more of that or, or they do it inauthentically. They do it like they give you a tchotchke or something instead of like, hey, it sounds like you're explicitly saying, hey, great job on doing this. That's more of that, please, right, is what I, I get from you. There's a book called um, The Four Agreements and another book called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective mm -hmm. People. And both of the books talk about um, – I forget which book it is specifically about the point I'm about to make. It says, be lavish in your praise. And to me, there's nothing. If you ever have a, 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 a woman walk into your life, my wife for me, and you realize the power of a compliment in that relationship, and that goes through to your employees as well. The power of a compliment is a, is a pretty powerful thing. And it's simple. It doesn't cost you anything. It brings, it elevates everybody's mood. Right. It elevates their confidence. It elevates their mood. It elevates their productivity. Fake. Don't throw out compliments that you don't mean, but also look for something that you do mean. Mm -hmm. Try to find the positive in any relationship, anything that's going on. Try to find something you can focus on that's positive. Hey, I like your hat today. That's a really, really cute hat you're wearing. Or you know, great job on that, that tattoo you did last week. I could not believe when I saw you posted online, I was blown away. I love to see the way you've grown that little line. Mm -hmm. I love to see how you've grown. They'll, they'll put that in the back of their mind and they'll lift them up. You just mm -hmm. you watch them. Just the pride that, it, that people, uh, expose when you give them a compliment, it, it, it really pays off, uh, to your company culture. Huge. I remember one time I was working at an organization I was working at and uh, I came into my office and there was a little yellow sticky note on my computer monitor and it was from the CEO. And he goes, Hey, stop by your office. I, 
I'm sorry I missed you. I'm going out of town, but I just want to tell you thank you for the effort you did on blah, blah, on this project. He goes, that meant the world to me. It was just that little note. And that lifted me up and gave me so much juice as opposed to and him. it's still lifting you up. Yeah, it still, it still lifts me up, right? about it. I mean, yeah. that's what I'm talking about. That physiological response we have as human beings mm-hmm. to positive news. I mean, you're carrying that with you. How many years ago was that? I was 15, 16 years ago. Yeah. And it's still so good. Yeah. I mean, I, I, mean, I sat up straight wow. when I was talking about it, right? Did you see how I physically yeah. stood up straight? I saw the physical response to the information you were thinking about. That That's amazing. Yeah. I love it. You go into great detail. Uh, I love too uh, about the COVID crisis. And God, I just put a knot in my stomach just reading it, you know, and thinking about what you were faced with and how we're going to make payroll, the kind of dealing with the bureaucracy of getting the, the PPP, the, the, you know, helping businesses and it didn't come through and you're literally dipping into your personal savings to pay payroll. But what I love about that chapter though, or that section as you kind of ended up the book was, and to me, this is the most favorite part of the book, Sean. And, and I think this goes, it speaks to, I think, why I think you're the quintessential entrepreneur, you and Thora. But you talk about you, you kind of ending that section. It says most obstacles are – I'm quoting from your book. Most obstacles are in your mind. You can overcome anything you put your mind to. Most times it takes having an obstacle in your life for you to grow. And it's the very act of overcoming those problems that gives your life meaning and purpose. I, I, I love that. And I think if we're in those moments, if we can remember what you just said there when we're in that mud and we feel like we're choking on the mud and how we're going to get out of it and remembering that, that that can sustain you in your darkest moments. I know it has for me when my back has been up against the wall. I've consciously thought that I can, I can choose how I respond to the situation, you know, and those are the moments when I started clawing myself out of the mud. And that's why I love that passage so much. Thank you. I, and I, I truly believe it. Um, some of the, our largest growth moments personally and professionally have been under serious strain or serious mm-hmm. stress um, and finding our way through it. And, and, and that's when you grow and you see it all over right now. It's a big thing of motivational speakers where, you know, growth is uncomfortable, it's, but it's true. You know, you go to the gym every day, you want to make your muscles bigger. You've got to push yourself. You've got to get uncomfortable. And it's, it's no different in any other aspect your marriage, your personal relationships, your your business relationships, being a leader, being a business owner, growing your business is uncomfortable. And as long as you recognize, it doesn't mean you have to love love the hurdles that are in front of no. you. But as long as you understand they're there, acknowledge them, and then create a strategy um, to to move forward in the face of that uh, uncomfortability. I think great work, man. I love the book, Sean. I mean, I love, I've loved watching you. You know, I know we're connected on Facebook and I love watching um, everything that you're doing and your updates and congratulations on the great A's album too, by the way, really good stuff. And I love, of course, I'm envious of you as a drummer. I wish I could drum like you. I hack away (laughs) at it back there. As you can see my little electronic set back there, but, but very cool. um, But yeah, I love, you know, all of that, particularly when Chester passed away. And seeing all that, and we lost such a great, great talent there and a great friend for you, for sure, and business partner. But, man, um, I, I love that you guys continued on and released that album. And what a great tribute to Chester, for sure. Thank you. He was a great guy. I miss him dearly. Yeah. What's next for Great Days? Are you guys are you guys going to do any? Are you going to do anything with that? Are you going to tour or anything? I guess I haven't looked at that. You guys are planning a tour with everything open up or what? I don't know about touring because the whole idea of Great Days was so that 
Chester and I could get back together and play music together yeah. and he's not here anymore. So right. uh, I don't know about, uh, we'd have to find a really unique way that still paid homage to him in a, in a way that, that made that sense. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, we just recorded a second record again with all of Chester's vocals. Mm-hmm. Um, that'll be released probably towards the end of the year or early next year. We're uh, just getting the album mixed now and it is awesome. So uh, we just released another song called anything, anything. It was the retro version of that track on the DC dark Knights death metal soundtrack that just came out. I believe it came out two weeks ago. And then uh, um, we have this other comic book thing that's coming out for DC. We're on the com- cover of a comic book with Superman that comes out, I think next week. And yeah. We have a lot of things going on in that world. And my, the way my fingers are on that pulse of great A's is making sure first that we're still honoring Chester. my friendship and making sure that we're not doing it in a cheesy way, making sure that the music is first and foremost, the most important thing that we're doing at the time. And if there's opportunities to promote that stuff, then great, but it has to be done in a respectful way right. and making sure that we don't, that we're not viewed in a, in a cheesy or, or ridiculous light. That's just that none of that interests me at all. Uh, I certainly don't need it on the monetary side. So it, it has to be done the right way for me to want to continue doing it. And so far we're doing that. So. Yeah, no, I think it's great. And it's great to hear Chester's voice. Yeah. I think, I, I think I posted that to you on that one post one time I was listening to Spotify just on a, you know, how you can kind of pick, you know, latest yep. hits or whatever. And I just had it kind of just on autoplay on like latest. And I swear to God, like every second group, sounded like Chester or Lincoln Park in some fit form or fashion. He like yeah, you know, he, he had a huge influence on some of these people. Yeah. He so, sure did. Yeah. He sure did. and I'm so proud of everything that he accomplished with the guys in Lincoln Park. Those guys worked their butts off. Um you know, I'm not close with any of those guys, but still at the same time very proud of what they did and uh, everything that Chester did with them and uh you know I, I hope at some point in the future, those guys release uh, some music with, with Chester as well. Yeah. Well, good stuff, man. Brand Renegades is the book. Um, you and your wife put it out. When is the release date again? It came out uh, June 24th. So it's been out for about three weeks. All right. So it's out, folks. Go check it out. It's a great book, particularly um, for those entrepreneurs out there if you're thinking about starting a business if you have your own business but there's a lot of chuck nuggets and leadership everything in there i think it's a great book shauna you should be really proud of what you've done thank you so much i appreciate it thanks for having me on today yeah is there anything that we didn't talk about that that um that you want to say as we kind of wrap up here is there anything that we left out i think you did a great job i really like the conversation and uh i feel really good about it awesome how can people learn more about you club tattoo and everything that you're involved in well, they can search for Sean Dowdell or Club Tattoo or Thora Dowdell. Uh, we have a website for our business mentorship, uh, um, you know, our business consulting. Uh, it's called businessgamechangers.com. Uh, you can go to Entrepreneur Press. Uh, our book is put out through Entrepreneur, Entrepreneur Press. Uh, you can get it at Barnes & Noble. You can get it on Amazon. You can get it at businessgamechangers.com. If you want to learn about Club Tattoo, you can go to clubtattoo.com. Uh, pretty much, if you just type my name in uh, mm-hmm. Google, you should find something, and hopefully it's good. Yeah. I'll have links to all that in the show notes. Sean, you're one of the good ones, and I'm blessed to know you. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you, Richard. Have a great day. 
Hey, thanks so much for tuning into the show. I hope you got some value out of this episode. If you did, please do me a huge favor. Tell somebody about this show. Tell your spouse, tell your kids, tell your coworkers. Let them know about the value that Dose of Leadership brings to your world. Go to doseofleadership.com. You can learn more about my services. If you're looking for somebody to speak, teach, or coach about leadership, I'm your guy. I'm known for my ability to transform individuals and organizations, teaching them the concept of creating a culture of decentralized leadership. I do think that is the secret sauce to facing all the challenges that we face today. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. I look forward to the next time we're together. And until the meantime, make it a great one.